Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Inside Carolina podcast. It is the game plan. It is Thursday night. It is Johnny T-shirt special that are our sponsors. Game Plan Podcast. I'm going to welcome in Greg Barnes first. Jason Staples will certainly join us here in a little bit. Um, and, and we'll get his take. And Jason has a lot of them. And most of them, <laughs> Greg, if my memory serves, over the years on this podcast, he's been spot on quite a few times. Um, but let me just get your take here. And as folks are filtering in, the importance of this football game for North Carolina. Regardless of who suits up, which we will have plenty to discuss that uh, when Jason gets with us, but I think this game is just tremendous for Carolina football and Mac Brown. I do, and I think there's a fascinating dichotomy here, Tommy. Um, you have App State fans who firmly believe they have a, a really good shot of winning this game, and the betting line would agree with them. Then you have Carolina fans who some think North Carolina should just roll into Boone and storm through the, the Mountaineers and others are tentative. And I think every one of those positions has some merit. And that's not always the case. Um, If you look at it from the App State side of things, uh, they have just been fantastic since they moved to the FBS in 2014. Um, If you look at since they made the transition from the FCS to the FBS back in 2014, the top five teams in the country in terms of wins at the FBS level are Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Georgia. Number six on that list is Appalachian State. That's phenomenal uh, to win that many games. And uh, people like to kind of downplay the fact that they're in the Sun Belt. Hey, this is not an FCS-level opponent. I mean, the Sun Belt may not be great, but the best teams in the Sun Belt, and that's what App State has been consistently, those teams can compete with most Power 5 teams. Maybe not the upper echelon, uh, but I don't think North Carolina is at that point quite yet. Uh, and if you just, even though they've had multiple coaches over the years, uh, they, they have a system in place. Sean Clark's done a good job, and they, they feel confident. I mean, the last five games they've, they've played against Power 5 teams, they've all been decided by a touchdown or less. Um, and there's been some good teams. And when they went in a happy valley, lost in overtime, had a close game against Miami, close game against Wake. 
these boys can play. On the flip side, North Carolina under Mac Brown has recruited lights out. They have three top 15 classes in a row. The first class Mac signed was top 30. Uh, so when you look at what they have done over the last four years, there is no question whatsoever that roster is firmly a top 25 roster. Appalachian State over that time is barely top 100. So if you're looking at this and you believe in recruiting rankings and there's a lot of good evidence that say you should, the talent discrepancy is massive between App State and North Carolina. And so I get it that Carolina fans think, hey, we should be able to go in there and yeah, they're going to be competitive because they're at home and it's their first game of the year. It's going to be a sold-out crowd, biggest crowd they've ever had at Kid Brewer Stadium. But Carolina has way more talent. And as long as they don't stub their toe, they should win by 10-plus points. So I think you have a legitimate argument from all these different angles. Uh, and to get back to your, your question, yes, this is a massive game for North Carolina. Does it matter in the full scope of things with regard to the Coastal Division in reaching Charlotte for the ACC Championship game? No, not really. You can afford to lose one or two non-conference games. This is really a practice period anyway, the first month of the season. You've got a bye week in there. You have all four non-conference games. Uh, so this is your opportunity to get the wheels running, right, before you enter ACC play in October. But from a program standpoint, <laughs> uh, if you lose this game and you drop, what, eight in a row away from Keenan Stadium, and this is year four under Mac, that's going to be a, a lot to overcome just from a, uh, a fan base perspective, trying to kind of get an understanding and, and to have faith that, hey, last year was just kind of a, you know, it was, it was a, a dip. Um, it's okay. They're going to be fine. Uh, nobody's going to be saying Carolina's fine if they happen to lose this game on Saturday. Yeah, you mentioned the talent level. I think I saw a, a tweet by 24-7 that showed Carolina's talent and however they do it with the recruiting rankings. It's like 16th in the country. And um, somebody on the chat mentioned Carolina hadn't played up to their talent level. Well, Jacob Turpin on the chat said hadn't played to their talent level in over 18 months. Quite frankly, I tend to agree with that. Um, and yep. Jason Staples has joined us. He's coming in. Um, pretty hectic day for Jason. But <laughs> – that's the thing about these two programs is the cultural differences. And Jason, I'm going to bring you straight in on that. Talk about how that, and people can say App State plays Sunbelt, whatever, but the culture of winning matters. I mean, at some point the talent level is going to win out, but the cultural fit that App State has managed to, to take hold of and, and get over the past two decades, that's real. That is 100% real. It was real in 2019, um, and it's real now. Speak to that, Jason. I mean, it was real back when they played Michigan how many, however many years ago. I mean, it, it matters. And that's one of the things you, you, you talk to coaches about. And one of the things that, that coaches regularly focus on is how important it is to learn how to win. And a good, a good way to think about this is all three of us on this, on this, uh, are, are dads. And 
everybody out there kind of knows how this works in terms of, you know, what you might call old man strength, <laughs> right? There's a certain point where, you know, you might be 20 years old and your dad might be 50, but you still probably don't want to take, don't want to try to take him. Right. Cause you might be bigger and stronger and quicker at that stage, but the old man knows how it's done at that point. And I think winning culture in, in, in sports is kind of like that. It's like, you've done it and you know what it's like, you know what it takes. And there, there's no, there's, there's no question about it. And what that does is confidence breeds. So success breeds confidence and then confidence breeds further success. As long as you can persist in the habits that got you there. Right. Because you know, so much about football, for example, is about having uh, is about quick reactions and is about doing the right thing under pressure. When you win and when you're used to winning, you you have fewer questions in your mind. Or Greg, you, you know, you you're you you're a, a very good golfer. You have this experience. When you're playing good golf, there's very little in your head when you're swinging. When, you, when you're not playing very well or when you're not used to playing well, there might be a thousand things going through your head and any one of them can throw the swing completely off. And I mean, actually, I, I played in a, in a tournament, uh, a, a small tournament not long ago. And, you know, I'm not as experienced a tournament golfer as you are. And it's funny, it took me this tournament to kind of learn something in terms of, oh, so that's how I should be thinking about play about playing my shots because i was i was trying i was trying to hit everything a little bit too perfectly and I, I was having some wayward misses that that were not showing up it was like where is the rain like i did not bring and then i decided finally on the back nine of that i was you know what i'm just gonna hit it i'm just gonna walk up to the ball and i'm just gonna hit it like i'm on the freaking range and all of a sudden i'm hitting it you know hitting it to my spots and it was a deliberate thing of just stop trying to stop trying to focus on this, stop trying to do it and just hit it like I'm on the range. And all of a sudden I became a much better golfer. That's what happens when you have a winning, when you have a winning culture, when you're used to playing tournament golf, when you're used to winning football games, instead of like, okay, if I got, you know, I got to do this, I got to, it's just, oh, they're in that. I got to, you know, do this. And the game slows down when you have winning culture. And so that can help. You might not have a guy that runs a four, four, but that four, six is reacting three tenths of a second faster because of that confidence and that know-how that's built in, in the winning culture. That is that, that matters a lot. So let me ask you this, Jason, this is the, this is what I find so fascinating about app state. Um, when, when you, to go back, what Tommy mentioned about the composite breakdown there's a lot of teams on that top 20 list that have just floundered for whatever reason. Miami's on that list, coaching. Carolina's on the list. Auburn, uh, FSU, uh, LSU now. And I think we can point the majority of that as being related to, to coaches and coaching. coaches needing time to kind of get their culture in place, and sometimes they just don't have the right guys. Um you, you see some FBS programs like a Cincinnati with Fickle 
with Bowling Green with Urban Meyer, uh, Richmond and Bowling Green with Dave Clawson, um, that because of the coach they have in place, they're able to build that culture. I mean, Dave Clawson's resume is tremendous because his teams always stink first year, and by year three, they're winning nine or ten games. That's just what he does. App State's different, though, because, yes, you had that run of success under Jerry Moore, and Scott Satterfield was a very good coach. But you lost Satterfield. And then Drinkwitz left quickly, and now you got Sean Clark who had gone away and has come back. So they've had three coaches in, what, like five years? But yet the train keeps on rolling. Uh, so is there such thing as a program culture? Or is it still just a matter of everybody understanding what worked before and keeping those same principles in place? So I think it's a mix of both. I mean, I think program culture can survive more than one coach. So one of the things, I mean, program culture, ultimately, when it's running well, is is player-led, right? So when you take over a program that's humming, when you are, you know, Larry Coker and you take over Miami in 2001 you just get out of the way like you don't screw you don't screw it up right that that's keep already built of, keep it out of the ditch yeah just don't drive it into the ditch right which is harder than it sounds <laughs> give credit to to those guys that, that have done it but programs where they've won for a long time and under you know under one coach or whatever that coach then then who comes in new he's got a he's got a core of veteran players who've won who've done things well and so as long as the hire of the next coach sort of fits the culture that's already in place so that's where the admin has to determine like do i need a change agent to come in here and and disturb and, and ruffle some feathers and disturb some folks or do i just need a guy who fits our culture and can come in and win over this team and they can just keep going with, you know, whatever changes are necessary to happen with the new coach, but basically just don't screw it up and let the player led culture that's already been built continue to, to, to go. And I also have one other theory about this in terms of certain programs and why some programs can have long-term success for so, you know, in, in, in these cases, place like Cincinnati or app state, um, Ohio State has had success through coach after coach after coach. I think there's something to having certain built-in advantages over your conference and the teams on your regular schedule in terms of recruiting. Boise so that, State is another one, yeah. Yeah, Florida State's another one, right? Yeah. So um, in USC, you know, is is to you know can be that. Uh, there, it's a little bit more complicated with USC, but you know, they, they have that potential as well. When you have certain built-in advantages like that, like Ohio state, I don't care who the coach is there. Just the way the big 10 has been set up for 45 years, 50 years, Ohio state can stumble into eight, eight wins a year. Like that it's, it's hard for them not to, not to win eight games in terms of the talent edge that they're going to have over their regular schedule. Well, when you're winning eight games a year at minimum, and then that means, you know, okay, so you have a, an average year and you're winding up, you know, with nine or 10 that builds into the culture. Again, you're, you're getting to where that you're just getting used to winning. 
and players compete differently. Uh, and I think that's true with a place like Cincinnati. And, and that's been true with a place like app. I mean, app built what they are when they were an FCS program with lots of advantages over those other FCS programs. And then they came into a conference where they could recruit and, and leverage that culture. And they've got advantages still. I think it's much harder for a Cincinnati once they get into a, say a big 12, you know, where you have some other programs that, that can, that can punch on your level. And now you're having to fight to win seven, eight games each year. So I think there's something to that as well. And, you know, I think UNC long-term has the potential to be, you know, a program that, that could be a, you know, seven, eight win floor team, but, that will take, you know, that's going to take years and years of building that in to leverage the brand that, that, that North Carolina has, which is a strong brand in all sorts of ways, but North Carolina basketball already has that. Right. Right. Tommy, there's a great quote during the end of the Barry Switzer era uh, with the Dallas Cowboys back in the late nineties, talking about the success of Jimmy Johnson, how it kind of fell apart as, as Barry got into like his third or fourth year. It was that a well-oiled machine will run for a while before it falls apart. And I think that's a good example of what you guys are talking about. Yeah, and we've talked about that quote and, and those type of situations for a long time. And and App had it going, and they've continued to have it, have it going. Somebody mentioned in the chat that they stumbled a little bit. Um, but the bottom line is Carolina's got to come into a, into a game where they have all the advantages. The only advantage they don't have is they're not playing in Chapel Hill. Everything else is built in for Carolina. Um, so, Greg let's, and Jason, let's talk about this talent advantage and how big a hit does it take if a guy like Josh Downs does not play on Saturday. And, and you know, there's some serious questions whether that'll happen, and I'd probably lean to it not. And shout out to Ross Martin for some some work on that. And, of course, that information has gone all over the Internet at this point. But, how does how much does that affect North Carolina's offense? Greg first, then Jason. Well, you're talking about a guy who is <laughs> talking about a guy alert? who is arguably the best <laughs> wide receiver in the country, uh, at least top five. Uh, he was the ultimate safety blanket last year for Sam Howell. Uh, so I, I don't think you can overstate. Uh, the importance of, of what Josh Downs is for this offense and for a guy like Drake may um, you know, Drake showed last week that, that he's willing to throw the ball around. I think he what, connected with 10 different players for, for uh, passes, which is a good sign. Uh, but, you know, Antoine green's already out and he was your other veteran guy on the outside. So if now you're going to be missing Josh Downs, basically your two key guys from last year are not going to be playing. If, if Josh Downs is not able to go. And we've talked all offseason, oh, App State lost a bunch of guys last year at wide receiver. Well, Carolina's in the same boat at this point in time. So I think it's a massive loss if that actually happens. Jason, that's one thing we talked about on the day after and, and throughout the week is how May did not solely rely on Downs last weekend. Um, very different competition. I understand that. Downs still had nine catches, but he spread it around more so than how. I felt like if Howell didn't have Downs last year, he's probably going to either run for 250 or figure out how to throw it to himself at, at times last year. But <laughs> but so May May uh, May was able to to spread it around. How, how 
How big and how important is that given uh, Carolina's receiver situation? And, and to be honest, when Greg talked about Antoine Green, I'd already forgotten him. Um, forgot that he is missing as well. Sounds like there's going to be some young blood that's got to make a name for themselves or else for Carolina. Yeah, I mean, even when the thing you have to remember is even when when May is not going, when not targeting Josh Downs, Josh Downs is having impact on on the game. You know, it's Steph Curry doesn't have to score to make a difference offensively for Golden State. Right. He has what, you know, what in basketball you call gravity. (laughs) Right. You know, when he's on the floor, there's a certain gravity that's going to pull defense toward him and it's going to make everything easier for everybody else. That's what Josh Downs does when he's on the field for for North Carolina's offense. So, yeah, that matters. (laughs) That matters a lot when that guy's not out there because you've got any time you have a, uh, you have a player like that who is a game breaker defenses have to account for him on every play. And that changes what coverages they're comfortable playing. That changes how they, what, what they, what they're able to offer to your number two and number three guy in terms of what the changes, what they're able to do in terms of focusing on stopping a run. All of that stuff changes when you have a game breaker on the outside. So if Josh Downs isn't out there, that's a huge deal. And I don't, I mean, again, you know, I, I think Drake May is a really good player already, but I think that's a really, really big deal for in a game that's very losable for North Carolina and against a team that, that can play defense. So, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's uh it's one that's an easy to overstate the, the kind of impact that that has when you, like you said, you you already don't have your other next best veteran wide receiver. You know, the question is, who do you have that can that can step up and actually not just catch the ball, but who, who do you have that can make plays, that can catch the football and threaten the defense, that can change the scoreboard? Or is North Carolina going to have to rely on being perfect? You know, eight, nine, ten, ten play drives, which with a young quarterback, a young wide receivers and young, young uh Running backs, it's uh, you know, that's a that's tall ask. So who is it? I mean, who steps up? You'd like to think that Carolina will be able to run the football um, with Hampton, Petaway, DJ Jones, Caleb Hood, if he's fully healthy, Elijah Green. But Greg, who who are we looking at to step up in this game? I I said on the podcast Tuesday night, and I stepped all over myself saying it, but. I, I think Morales is huge in a game like this. I think the tight end room might be huge in a game like this uh, in total. Where's Carolina go here on the offensive side? I feel like we're flipping this because we used to talk about the defense first last year. But Carolina's offense, where do they go without a guy like Josh Downs and Antoine Green? Yeah, well, the fact that the the tight ends caught, what, 135 yards or whatever it was last week, I think it's a very positive sign. Uh, we knew because of the scholarship numbers at wide receiver, especially with Antoine Green's injury, uh, that the tight end room is going to have to step up. And they've got two really good guys in there. I mean, Copenhaver, solid as well. Uh, but Morales and Nesbitt give you two unique options, different type players playing the same position. Uh, so that's beneficial. But there has to be somebody to step up. Um, and I think Kobe Paceauer, this is his opportunity. Uh, Josh Downs is going to get the bulk of the snaps in the slot. This is Kobe's chance to shine. 
Um, and I think he has to be effective. Gavin Blackwell, I thought made some good plays last week. Um, you know, Andre Green, we've heard the name. Everybody's impressed with him. Is this a game where he can step up and give you one or two big catches? We're not talking about a kid that needs to go out and catch nine passes for you know, 110 yards. Nothing like that. But just just provide some contributions. And if, if Drake May is willing to throw the ball around like he did last week, there's going to be guys open. And we've talked about that talent advantage. Uh, there's going to be separation. Now, App State does a really good job of keeping people in front of them. Um, and they're going to be coached up. But there's still going to be opportunities. And so these guys just have to step up and, and capitalize. But, yeah, tight ends for first. You know, first but I think, I think Kobe's a, a massive player here if Josh Downs is not able to go. And then I think some of the young guys need to come on. Jason, does Longo change? We talked about they're going to run the same stuff with the quarterbacks they have now as they did last year for the most part with Sam Howe. Is that the same for Longo in a game like this? Of course, it is in short order. It's just a week to prepare for it. But it, does he change much when you've got potentially got one of the best in the country out? So the, the actual plays being called, I don't think change much in terms of, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to be calling a different playbook. I mean, he's, he's got a limited number of plays that they actually call. They call like 22 different plays out of different formations and different looks. So, I mean, it's not, it's not like he's got this extensive library of stuff to call in new things. They'll add some wrinkles to take advantage of different things in each game. So you got your 22 base plays and then you, you have some wrinkles off of that that are prepared for each game. But it's not going to look a whole lot different. I think the thing that is going to be a little bit different in this respect is that you might see him do it at a different personnel. So with with downs out there, you have more incentive to have an extra receiver out there. I I think Tommy, you are you're on on the the right track here when you're saying, look, the tight end room looks pretty good right now, and. You've got a bunch of running backs that you know you want to you want to use that have some physicality to them. You know this is an FCS or, or, or this is a Power Five team. They just finished playing their FCS team. Uh, this is a, this is a Group of Five team that they're playing. At a certain point, you say, okay, we've got say Omari and Hampton. He's a big back, runs runs angry, runs powerful. We got a couple tight ends that can that can cause some matchup problems and can both block and be, be problems in the, uh, in the passing game. Do we just go, you know, do we put two backs on the field at times and, and, and uh, at other times go two tight ends? I mean, do we do, do a lot of 21 and, and 12 personnel? That's the sort of thing I'd be asking as a coach. Is that what we're doing? Because, you know, maybe we can mash them. Let's see what they're, let's, let's see how their front holds up against that, against the pounding from the running game. And then let those tight ends be a factor in the passing game with Nesbitt, you know, flexed and, you know, use Nesbitt's versatility in that. But maybe you go more too tight kind of personnel in this game than you might have if, if Downs is, is, is full go. I think that's one thing that, that, might, that you might see more to try to compensate for that, that you're, you decide to pound them and use your size and use those, those tight ends more uh, to – benefit your young quarterback and make certain things look a little easier with the matchups. Yeah. And Tommy, I think that's a, that's a great point. And that kind of leads into this, this next topic here is when you're not sure what you've got at wide receiver, the easiest way to take pressure off the wide receivers 
and the young quarterback is to run the ball successfully. Um, it's kind of a time is flat circle type deal. Um, Max said last spring, not this spring, spring of 2021, that he wants to be able to run the ball when he wants to run it. <laughs> Phil Longo is very much in the Larry Fedora mode of we're going to take what the defense gives us. And there's a lot of smart intellectualism in that. Uh, but if you happen to watch any of the Pittsburgh, West Virginia first half, Pittsburgh had a third and goal at the four. And what did we talk about last week? Pat Narduzzi wants to run the ball. So they lined up and they ran it in on third and goal from the four and they steamrolled West Virginia's front. That's what they wanted to do and they accomplished that. Uh, we talk about the talent advantage. That's how you take pressure off of Drake May. And then guess what happens if you have success? App State brings more guys into the box. That lightens the load on the back end. That gives you more passing lanes. That gives you the opportunity for more separation. Then you can start having more success in the passing game. We, we know Phil Longo likes that balance. But balance comes in different forms. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Jake, Jason makes a really good point there. App State, though, uh, has been really good. I mean, they've been great defensively for years. And I, I know a lot of people say, oh, they lost seven starters, a lot of really good guys. Yeah, they did. But they bring back a lot of guys that played last year. They bring back a lot of fourth and fifth and sixth year guys. And this defense has been top 30 in scoring defense for seven years in a row. They know how to get it done. I think there's been one year of the past six years where they've allowed opponents to average more than four yards per carry. They're very solid up front. They're very solid schematically. So it's not as easy as saying, hey, we're going to outwork you at the line of scrimmage. But you have to make sure you, you're technically sound. You have to be able to control the line of scrimmage so that you're not playing behind the chains. Because if you're playing behind the chains with a redshirt freshman quarterback and your top two wide receivers out, that's going to make a very difficult afternoon. You're asking for trouble. I just remember in 2019, Carolina's offensive line looked like they were trying to block Ghost because those guys were running around them ridiculously. Now, those guys aren't on App State's team now, but, Greg, to your point, they still have some talent. So, Jason, just overall, um, where do we like um, Carolina's matchups there? We talked about the power run game. We talked about Hampton. Uh, Carolina has success on Saturday on offense if – if they can run the football when they want to run the football. <laughs> I mean, it it's an easy game folks. Yeah. I mean, with, with downs out, especially, I think this game boils down to whether Carolina can block them up front as you know, with, with some success and use the talented backfield that they have to set up the passing game in more advantageous leverage. I think it boils down to that. And, you know, I do think all things being equal, May is going to keep Carolina in this game. You know, he's going to make good decisions. Uh, there's still some inconsistency to his game that we saw this week. You know, some couple of the air, the one airmailed throw to, to Downs, the, uh, the the skipped ball to Downs that he, you know, Downs is pretty frustrated in the end zone that it was an easy touchdown. He scored the next play, but you know, those are those are plays where you know, bad mechanics, bad footwork, you know, a little bit of a late decision. They get, they get you in that, in that situation where it's not ideal, right? You know, he's not quite as, as consistent as he needs to be, 
but by and large, he's 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 going to keep you in games. He's going to make the throws necessary to keep you in games. He's going to make good decisions. So I'm, I'm I think that's that's going to happen. But I'm I'm not as sure that they have someone that's going to uh, to change the scoreboard out there. I think also Carolina wins if a player like Blackwell or Pesar have, uh, you know, let's say. 110 plus yards where they're 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 actually showing you know you get one you get a receiver that 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 starts to make some plays downfield i think carolina probably wins this game you know one of those guys steps up to make a big play or two down the field that changes some things so run the football when you want i think may's going to keep them in the game it's going to be a close game regardless just because of that but if you can, if they can run the football and then get one receiver to to make some plays downfield and and make a you know make a speed play, I think they're in good shape offensively. Let's talk about Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com sponsor of this podcast. Also, shout out to Jimmy's Famous Seafood. I'm on Team Famous. Mm. Fantastic. Um, and shout out to Blue Shark, uh, Ross Martin's uh, baby there with the the sponsorship Connor Barf stuff, but Johnny T-shirt, of course, is always going to be the one I go back to because they sponsored this show. They've been friends of Inside Carolina forever, and they've been alumni-owned and operated on Franklin Street for decades. And they take care of you, the Carolina fan, but not only you, the Carolina fan, the Inside Carolina Premium Message Board person. Get all your gear. Um, if you're going to App State, might be a little chilly in the evening. Get you one of those sweatshirts, those crew neck sweatshirts that we talk about so much, but. Regardless of where you're going this weekend, hit up Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com and support them. Get your 10% off and take care of it. National guys pay the bills. Come right back. I've got more with Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, and the game plan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, game plan podcast, Johnny T-shirt, of course, Jason, Greg. Greg, I, I did the Johnny T-shirt read before you could finish your comment, so let's stick with the offense just briefly. Um, I, I'll, I'll get my – if we are talking about Hampton and Petaway having big games on Sunday morning, then Carolina has won convincingly. Go, Greg. I, w- I would agree with that. I was just going to make kind of a, a general point. Uh, a lot of – I mentioned this to begin – the show, and I think it's worth kind of explaining a little bit. Um, a lot of people really talk down App State in terms of some of the stats because of the Sun Belt. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are familiar with, with Ken Palm and the basketball side of things, which takes raw data uh, and then normalizes it to an average opponent. 
So you kind of get an idea of, okay, well, you have some really good teams who play a lot of really good teams throughout the year. So their stats are going to be affected because they play so many good teams. And then you have teams that don't play anybody and their stats are going to be inflated. Well, we have that in, in football as well. Uh, Brian Fremo's uh, FEI is adjusted per uh, for an average opponent. And App State defensively uh, has ranked top 40 in defensive FEI for six years in a row. So what those numbers tell you is it may not be as pretty as the raw data, which has you know, App State top 30 in scoring defense every year. But top 40 is still pretty good. And um, you know this this is not a slouch. This is you know, this is not a team that's going to be Alabama defensively or Pittsburgh defensively, but they're good enough to beat you. And so I think if people go into this game think, oh, we got a big talent advantage, as long as we just play okay, we'll win convincingly. Uh, there's more to it than that. So these guys, as we've talked about the first half of the show, culture's there. These guys have been coached up. Yeah, they may not have the recruiting rankings, but these boys can play. Uh, you know you have made it on YouTube Live when you get the porn sites botting in and you get other fans coming in and joining. In. So shout out to the other fans for joining in the chat and joining in the show. We welcome everybody in. Um, maybe not so much the porn bots. So John, producer John will take care of them. Uh, let's talk about the Carolina's defense. Now, if we had to say one thing that caused the most consternation coming out of Florida A&M, Jason. It was the defense. I don't know if the tape was as bad as the feeling right after the game or during the game. Um, but how much better do they need to be against App? And conversely, App likes to run the football. They've got two great running backs. They've got a good offensive line. That seems like Carolina's strong suit on the defensive side. Where does the rubber meet the road here on this side of the ball? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that the tape was better than the feeling. Going back through, there were some there were some real concerning things put on tape in week in week zero. Uh, things that I hoped, just thinking about you know development of the of this team, I had hoped would be better in 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 week zero. That said, it is week zero, so you know you the, the I, I was talking about this with. Uh, Mike Ingersoll this week. And, you know, one of the things that, that we were talking about is how there are certain things that show up that are really concerning that are typical week one problems. <laughs> They're typical first game problems. So, you know, typically pad level is a week one issue, both sides of the ball. You get players that play higher coming out of camp than they do otherwise, partly because at a certain point in camp, you, you have to reduce a little bit of the physicality. You're doing a lot of drills, but you're not, you're not in the, in the mode of, of going hard and, and, and going, you know, playing with great pad level all the time. Uh, and, you know, game conditioning is a factor. Uh, tackling is usually a problem in, in first games, you know, things like that, because you, you don't tackle to the ground much anymore in camp. So those are things that, you know, should get fixed as the season goes on and you expect to see improvement after you put that on tape and you've had a chance to really have a, uh, have some meetings about it and emphasize it during the week. But there are other things that, you know, that, that, that showed up. Look, if, if Carolina doesn't have their top two corners out there right now, or top three, I mean, I guess if you include Cavazos there, 
right now they, they, you know, the young guys are still learning there. There, there were plays where, you know, they're supposed to have inside leverage and they took outside leverage and they're supposed to get hands on guys and they let them have a free release. And you got a guy running right across the field with nobody, with just a guy chasing him. And it's like, well, you know, that's, that's, that's easy. That's like playing seven on seven with, you know, or that's playing against grass for, for the offense. You can't have that. Uh, and then just, you know, certain physicality I'd like to see more of from the from the Carolina defense uh, that coming out of week zero, these are things that need to get fixed. But you hope that that's what you get a chance to do during during the uh, during during the week to fix between week zero and week one. And that's the advantage of having week zero coming into week one is you've got a chance to fix some of those things that would show that those would have showed up against app. They might not show up against app as much after getting corrected, uh, you know, after game one. So that's the hope. That's where you're hoping that they've cleaned up some of those things coming into week one so that at where they've got some veteran presence, where they've got some good players, where they're going to, you know, threaten you, especially with those good backs and, you know, some vets up front. Maybe you've managed to have some very passionate film sessions this week on a few of the breakdowns that they did have to get those things so that they're, they're fixed and there's consistency against this team. Yeah. And Tommy, I, I think that's a great point. And it really highlights the, the decision-making that Gene Chizik and his staff have gone through this week and what they'll have to ultimately decide to do for the ball game on Saturday. Uh, because from what, what we know about Gene Chizik is he wants teams to, to beat him slowly down the field. You know, he was pretty vocal back in 15 and 16 saying, you know, if a team is going to have 10 good plays and that's what they have to have to beat us and score, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I don't think people realize as much as they should with Gene Chizik and his style. Right. And so it kind of gets into the – this is where things get interesting, right? Because, as Jason said, when you've got some coverage issues, can your – primary goal be stopping the run if you need to protect the guys on the back end a little bit? Or are you going to let guys kind of pick you apart? That's what that's the decision you have to make. And the, the easy answer, of course, is kind of the old Butch Davis mantra of if you've got four guys up front that are better than the opponent, it doesn't matter what you do on the back end because they're going to disrupt at the line of scrimmage uh, and you'll be okay running man or zone or too deep, whatever it may be. Uh, and you can get away with it. Is Carolina at that point yet? I don't know that they are. And so we know what App State is going to want to do. They're going to, they're going to want to run the ball because they have two really good backs. They have four returning offensive linemen for probably the best offensive line in the Sun Belt. They want to control the game at the line of scrimmage and then take shots whenever they want to take shots down the field. So does Gene and Charlton Warren bring up guys to help there which then gives Chase Bryce opportunities to throw over the middle or into into holes in the zones. That's the chess match involved here. How much is Gene Chizik willing to get aggressive knowing what's happening on the back end with some injuries and some young guys? That That is one thing, Jason, coming out of uh, Florida A&M game that I was – I don't think Gene Chizik knows what he has. I mean, Power Eccles, he knows what he's got. He got a beast. Um, does he know what he has to be able to know what he can do to, to Greg's point there? I think 
I think they 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 have a pretty good sense of what they've got in the front in the front six. And I think you could argue they they've got a pretty good sense of what they've got with about probably eight or nine guys or eight or nine spots on this defense. They know what they're going to get at safety. They know what they're going to get with both backers, regardless of which backers in. They know what they're going to get on the front four. They, they know what they've got there. I think they're still trying, they're still figuring out what they've got at the corner positions and at nickel. I think they're still sort of figuring out those, those three spots. Turns out those are pretty, pretty important spots. Uh, you know, you want to, you, Butch Davis used to say it didn't matter what you did on the back end, but the game was a little different then too. So, you know, fewer teams were spreading it quite as much and getting it out quite as quickly as they do now. So you can, you know, more teams are neutralizing what you can do up front by taking advantage of the one or two matchups outside that they can, that they can take advantage of, uh, and you've got to, you've got to have at least something on the back end to be able to slow them down just enough for those guys up front to get home. So that's I think what they're figuring out, and we'll see what ends up happening there. Uh, I I think with Duck having had a little bit of you know him being a little dinged up at different points in in practice, I think they're still figuring out how close he is to what he's been. And I think, you know, with Grimes out, they don't know what they really have on the other side. That's really where the questions are as a corner. Yeah, and Jason, I would like for you to explain this to the to the listeners uh, because I've heard this a lot this week, and I think this is, this is worthy of you explaining. Um, there's a reason the quick passing game doesn't work against teams like Bama and Georgia and Pittsburgh <laughs> uh, who have great defensive lines. Why? Why do teams not have the luxury of just going to the quick passing game against teams like that that are aggressive uh, at some of the secondary positions? Well, I mean, against Bama, you're going against a bunch of you're going against a, a bunch of five star defensive backs too. I mean, that's the biggest problem. I mean, that's that's real simple. <laughs> well, let's let's talk Pittsburgh then. So, so with Pitt, first of all, they they are they're going to sell out to get to you quickly and they're willing to take some to give up some big plays not to give up the, that short stuff. So it's almost the opposite approach from what Chiswick is going to do. Chiswick is going to say we ain't giving up big plays. We're going to we're going to we're willing to give you some dink and dunk stuff and and assume that you're you might drop one or you might turn it over or something's going to ha- you're going to make a mistake. Pitt is going to say we're going to force you into a, into a mistake or you're going to beat us over the top. That, those are your two options. And in the process, Pitt, Pitt presses a lot. And it's harder to run a lot of the quick game stuff when you're being pressed by, by competent defensive backs. Now, if they're not good enough on the back end, we've seen Pitt get shelled mm-hmm. and by uh, several North Carolina teams that did this with quick game and getting the ball out quickly to receivers who were just running wide open because Pitt couldn't cover them. And, you know, that's why Carolina scored 50. I think what, what's the most they've scored on, on Pitt 55, if I remember right. So uh, Larry Fedora had Narduzzi's number. Yeah. Larry, Larry Fedora was bombed bombs, bombs away. Every time they played, they played Pitt. you know, the, he, he, he loved playing against Pitt. So you can do it, but you better have the personnel to win on the outside because they're going to press you. They're going to slow you down. 
They're going to make you get off the line of scrimmage and do all of that. And they're willing to roll the dice that you can't beat them over the top over and over and over again. And if you can, it's just going to be a long day for them. Bama is going to do some of the same stuff, although Bama runs a lot of, you know, the same quarters base that, you know, say Jay Bateman did last year. Um, and same with Georgia. I mean, they, they, they run a lot of the, a lot of that same stuff, but again, it has to do with the quality of athlete that they have outside. In addition to what they have on the defensive front, Bama and Georgia are not playing the same game as everybody else in terms of personnel in college football. I mean, why can't we be like Georgia? Just, just get that out of your vocabulary. Cause that's, they are not recruiting the same athletes as everybody else in terms of depth, in terms of consistency. They, you know, what, what we saw from Georgia last year, there, there aren't many teams in college football history that had that much talent on the field on defense. So it's just a whole different, different world. I think that's a fascinating point you made and you guys both made there is that Pitt will sacrifice a few if you can beat them throwing the bomb, you can beat Pitt. Uh, but they're going to assume that you're not going to hit them all and that your quarterback's not going to have time to get it done. Carolina is – Chiswick's a little bit different approach, maybe, as Jason said, the opposite approach. So so where does Carolina uh, – where does Carolina win this game on defense? Uh, you know, Greg, they got they got to get it done on, on one side of the ball. The offense uh, remains to be seen even though I think, like Jason said, Drake May will, will have a good game here. But where does Carolina win uh, this defense, this game here? Is it strictly on the defensive line? And if Slagle will let me get my point out before he comments, I'll get to it, Slagle. <laughs> is it on the defensive side, or is it somebody in that secondary that has stepped up? Uh, maybe we did not see step up very much. And Grimes is expected to play, or at least that's trending that way. We'll put it that way. Does that matter, too? Yeah, that certainly matters. Uh, I mean, we saw kind of what happened with Balfour last week. Just a young guy kind of trying to get his feet under him. And so when you have somebody with Grimes' talent across from Storm Duck, uh, that's a really good one-two punch. Uh, but uh, we know what App State's going to do. I mean, the way App State wins this game is by playing solid defense and grounding it and pounding it. That They win by running the ball efficiently. That doesn't mean they rush for 250 yards. They're able to kind of control the game, control the clock, put their defense in good positions, and take advantage of some opportunities. So what Carolina has to do is, is prevent App State from being as efficient running the ball as they want to be. Uh, and that's, that's up front. And that's the defensive line, the defensive front, and those linebackers. Uh, you've got to be able to get some tackles for loss to get them off schedule, make them play from behind the chains, put the ball in Chase Bryce's hands. He had a good year last year for sure, but put him under pressure. We've seen what he's done against some Power 5 teams at his previous stops. It wasn't pretty. I know he's matured, um, but you put App State in a position where he has to win the game with unproven wide receivers, and I think that's that's the ticket. So um, that, that's why I say it's such a fascinating dynamic for Gene Chizik because it, he wants to keep everything in front of him, but App State will take five yards per plate every single snap and they'll march down the field. And even if they have to kick a field goal, they'd be. Uh-oh. Barnes's Wi-Fi gave up on a Thursday night at 9.51 Eastern on a live Did it crap show. out? It did. Oh, you, there you are. You look like you were talking about Godzilla attacking the mainland. Uh, Tokyo. 
right. go ahead finish your point you said app state will take five yards yeah. every snap they'll, all they'll take they will and so that's that's really the the point here is what does gene do does he does he bring up extra guys because you have to be able to get them behind schedule that's that's the name of the game if you don't uh they're going to kind of control the game at the line of scrimmage and that that's going to that's going to make it tough for, for Carolina to slow them down. Jason, everybody's talking about how uh, C.J. Bryce is terrible. Uh, he set that state record for passing yards last year. So he, he's he's been a lot better. And I think Chiswick referenced it earlier this week that schemes make quarterbacks. And clearly, whatever Duke was trying to do did not work out for Bryce. Um, and he's also 28 years old playing quarterback. But but let, let's get to the to the – cutting time here um, as we are eight minutes to the hour can Carolina control the line of scrimmage on defense and can Carolina get this win give me a prediction and how it all goes down noon on Saturday in Kid Brewer the rock can Carolina do this yes I mean I think that's almost an absurd question given that Carolina is the more talented team here well the do do that's how long, how often is that the case, and how often have they done that? Thus, well, well, I mean, Carolina's lost their share of games where they've been the more talented team, but I do think they're in recent years. Most of the losses that Carolina has had have been against teams in the same talent tier, for the most part. I mean, last year you had a couple that that were not in that in, that were not in that case, um, but I think they've got more. They've got more. more seniority they've got more experience on the defensive side where that matters more in terms of that that talent having matured and so yeah I mean at this point you've you've got to you got to say wait a second this is this is uh put up or shut up time in terms of being able to 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 do something with the talent that you've put together so it should be an absurd question can Carolina win this yes they can they've got enough talent to do it even with Josh Downs out they can. Will they is another question. <laughs> I mean, there's all sorts of reasons to pick App State in this game. One interesting number uh, that I saw this week, and it surprised me, is that teams playing in week one against teams that played a week zero game, there was a specific percentage in those games. Any, any guesses on which team one more of those matchups and rough percentage. I'm terrible with stats. 50-50. Close, but it's 55% in favor of the team playing its first game, hmm. which which surprised me because I would expect the team that played in week one or played in week zero to have a, a slight edge in that. So, I mean, you, I, I want to see, I, I would want to see the rest of like the full data set to see if there's any, you know, distinction in terms of, well, maybe the ranked team, you know, high, more highly ranked or better teams are, are less likely to be that week one or, uh, or have a week zero game. I don't know, but that one, that's an interesting one. Uh, Cause I would have expected that to go the other way. And with downs out this, this complicates this game. I think with downs in, I, I would pick Carolina to win and feel real confident in it. Uh that said, I still I I still think that this game Carolina should win this game and I think they will win this game on the road. I think ultimately the defensive talent combined with May and those running backs, I think Carolina's going to be able to run the football in this game even against a good App State defense. 
I think ultimately Carolina is going to win it. I think this will be a close game, but here's something to think about. So if you want to look at what the difference was between wins and losses for App State last year, right here's the number. So I looked at a few different things. I was like, okay, did you know teams that stopped the run, stopped the run against them? Did they have more success? And then I looked at it, and in wins last year, App State averaged four point eight nine yards per carry. In losses, four point three nine yards per carry. So not a huge difference. But the real difference was right here. In wins, they had uh, they had they they had twenty three uh, passing touchdowns to seven interceptions and hundred and sixty four passer rating. In losses, six touchdowns, five interceptions, and a one sixteen passer rating. So that basically tells me that that what this game boils down to for North Carolina is can they make Chase Bryce uncomfortable? And can they limit App State through the air? Can they keep App State from giving up, uh, from getting big plays? And that's actually, I think, going to be the approach. They're going to, I think, they'll come after Bryce because he's not very mobile. I think they'll bring five more often than than some might expect from uh, from Chiswick. But basically, if they can avoid giving up a bunch of big pass plays and get pressure on Bryce, this game, I think they win this game. I think they'll be able to do that. And so I'm going to go with North Carolina 27, App State 23. Close one on Saturday in Boone. Greg, give us your your stat of the week and also what you think is going to happen here. Uh, I have a quote of the week. How about that? And I'm That's surprised good. Jason didn't, didn't take this opportunity because it speaks to what he was just talking about. Uh, LSU coach Brian Kelly. I assume he said this with a nice Southern draw, but <laughs> quote, Florida State played a game, and that's an advantage for them. The advantage for us is that we haven't played a game, end quote. So we have not played a game yet. <laughs> Florida State um, played one. I, I do think there's a pressure valve aspect of that that plays in App State's favor because Carolina had all the fanfare and had the big celebration and all the fans got to celebrate last weekend, first game of the year. They've, they've waited nine months to play, and you get all that emotion out. Well, App State hasn't played yet, and The Rock is going to be rocking on Saturday, uh, and that emotion matters. It matters early. And so we talk about it a lot, You know, playing at Cameron Indoor. You've got to withstand that initial flurry because it's coming. And it's going to be hot and heavy, and you just have to endure it. Um, and I think that's an important aspect for Carolina. Once you settle down, talent plays out. Um, I had some concerns about this game leading into the Florida and A&M game, just with some things I'd heard and uh, coming out of a camp. And uh, you know, they hadn't seen some of the, the growth they had expected to see in the secondary. Uh, they thought they thought Drake was going to be good. They had some question marks at running back. The way the, the freshman running backs played as well as and I thought DJ played well, I thought Elijah Green looked good. And with what Drake did, um, I think that offense is going to be legit once again. I mean, Phil Longo gets a lot of heat, but he just rolls out you know, top 20 offenses year in, year out. And I think that's just going to be too much for App State to be able to handle. I, I, I think App State's offense and Carolina's defense probably plays close to a draw. And I think Drake May is going to be the deciding factor here. I, I think he's a, a special kid. He's going to have a big year. And so I've got North Carolina winning this one, 
31-21. Ooh, a little bigger snap there. Interesting. Interesting takes. I picked Carolina in the preseason pod. I'm going to stick with Carolina because, you know, my only overriding factor is they have to win this game. I mean, they uh, Mike Brown's team has to win this game. Is it a must-win, Tommy? It is. I said all along there are two must-wins on this season schedule, and this is one of them. Because um, you come down off that mountain with an L hanging around your neck, and I hate to see what it's going to look like. Um, you know, we you asked for st- a, you asked for a stat of the uh, stat of the week. Uh, <laughs> last year, Carolina played another Sun Belt team, Georgia State, won by thirty-two. And Carolina, Georgia State course, went what nine and three last year. Yeah, Georgia State was pretty good last year. Uh, App State also played Georgia State. And App State won that game uh, by 29. Mm-hmm. So if, if we're doing any kind of transitive properties from year to year, which I don't advise, uh, but App State and Carolina beat up on Georgia State by about the same margin. It is a. It feels lo- like a little bit like Virginia Tech game last year. Um, if I'm Mac, I keep Carolina in the locker room, come out later. <clears throat> don't I don't know what App State plays or what they do when they run out on the field, but as long as don't it's not you put that evil on them, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> don't you put that evil on them? <laughs> Maybe they play uh, some some uh whatever. Carolina needs to be ready to play. This is one of those games where Mac Brown talks it; they need to walk it. Period. And if they can't get it walked and done against App State, then like I said earlier, it's going to be ugly. I'm going to say Carolina thirty four. Um, App State 28, I got a feeling it comes down to the end, um, sort of like the Virginia Tech game did. I see somebody like Power Eccles making a play or DeAndre Boykins making a play on defense. Um, but they got to win. That's all I got, guys. That's all I got. No fancy stats, no whatever. They just got to win. They better figure it out. Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, this has been the Game Plan Podcast. Anything else, guys? Does Pittsburgh look any good? They look average to me. They, look, they look like Pitt. I mean, that's pretty much what they do early in the year. <laughs> let, let me ask you a question. I and I saw it. the tweet. I thought about it when I was watching it. How crazy is this transfer portal that you got two Southern Cal quarterbacks playing against each other in the backyard brawl? That's that's the stat. Of all the starting quarterbacks in FBS this year, 58 are transfers. Oh, I thought you were going to say 58 were from Southern Cal. Yeah, well. 58 played for Southern Cal. <laughs> So and, um, and what's even crazier about that is that even though those guys transferred out of Southern Cal, Southern Cal might have the best quarterback in the country. Right. <laughs> Southern Cal's got transfer. more starting quarterbacks in the in the nation. Yeah, it's uh, crazy times. Um, I'm going to get off and watch the rest of that game. But this has been fun. This is always fun. We're going to try to do these live every Thursday night at 9 o'clock. Might have to bump it around on schedules, maybe a Wednesday night here or there. Um, but it's always a pleasure, guys, talking to our – multitude of fans and shout out to the ones that are here all the time um, you know who you are hopefully y'all get to app state um if you see me thumbing on 421 up the mountain swing over there pick me up um i'll give you the inside carolina hat off my head if i can catch a ride don't Jason, run him over just because he he led everybody astray with those picks last off season yeah if i'm if i'm in the road um just kindly move me out of the way jason staples will join joy powell on inside carolina live on saturday um i'm gonna call in I'm going to call in from somewhere on the Appalachian State campus. Uh, Greg Barnes will be doing like Greg Barnes things now. He won't be in that. That's You'll a hard be playing golf, aren't you, Greg? Yes, I will be. 
<laughs> <laughs> so Craig Barnes will be striping it down the middle as he always does. Fun times, boys. Johnny T-shirt, Johnny T-shirt.com. Visit Jimmy Seafood if you're in Charm City and check out some Blue Shirt Vodka. It's been fun. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.